I don't dislike name, image, and likeness. I'm all for the players. I want players to do well. Uh, our players did extremely well last year. They made over $3 million in name, image, and likeness. So I'm all for the players being able to do as well as they can and use their name, image, and likeness to create value for themselves. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. You know, outside of Nick Saban kind of slipping a little bit, getting a little frustrated, he also wasn't really at a media event when he was slamming Texas A&M for buying their players. Right. Everything he talks about with NIL, positive and negative, is strategic. And he did it again there. He's like, our players made over $3 million with NIL. Because you remember last year before the season, he was like, our quarterback already has NIL deals in excess of seven figures. Oh, I remember, which is why I never understood the whole paying for players thing. Right. He was one of the first to make right. headlines. With, right. My quarterback's going to make a million dollars. No, once they get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not before they get there. There's that, that line. Uh, real quick, before we get to Caleb, uh, we just talked to Timmy Chang, Hawaii football coach. I think it's a great story. Hawaii was really broken. Um, come on. Last year. What a mess at the end of the yep. year. Todd Graham's a jackass, and it just didn't mesh. And I, I get a kick out. We're the Ninth Island. We have a ton of Hawaiians here. Um, I'm thrilled with the fact that Hawaii, Reno, and UNLV are in that mini pod. We talked about the pods. Let's bring in Caleb Herring. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? I'm doing good. How about yourselves? Enjoy yourselves? Yeah, we're good. A lot of coaches walking around. A lot of coaches walking around. So we're going to talk to, uh, I think later on, we're going to get the uh, Reno coach. So we'll get him to admit that he actually likes Vegas. We'll get off to a strong start. We don't want to have this whole rival. Now we're, I don't know what he's going to say. Um, but, yeah, football's here. I mean, UNLV camp opens up. Report day is uh, the 29th, and then they're practicing a couple of days after that. I wanted to ask you about that pod. Is that, does that make sense to you? If there's going to be you know, two other teams that UNLV matches up with, you have to go with the, you know, the Pineapple Trophy and, of course, Reno, right? Yeah, the two rivalries. And I think that they're two of – I mean, maybe not nationally recognized as much as, you know, in this community or those who have been a part of it, but they're one of the longer lasting. I know, you know, the Canon is the biggest trophy. Obviously, there's history there. Um, it just makes sense, obviously, for that to be there. And then uh, Hawaii is just another team that, while it, it only recently, I think in the last decade, was established as an official rivalry game, um, it's one of those games that I know for the community here and as well in Hawaii, it's, it's always a good turnout. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Caleb, come on. Answer the question truthfully. The reason why it works is not because of the rivalry, but because <laughs> both of the programs are heading in a downward trajectory, and it is a great opportunity for UNLV to play them regularly. We will be kings. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a positive, and it's not like you know UNLV right now can you know puff out its chest based on recent results. They have to they have to get the job done. You know they're booked to play these uh, two schools you know six times over. The, they're guaranteed those games like. You got to win a lot of those games. You got to go four and two, five and one. You got to win the cannon back, and you got to take care of Hawaii as they're trying to rebuild things. I wanted to ask you. Um, we had Marcus Arroyo on earlier. Your recollection of the Hawaii trip? You and I both know what you know what UNLV does now, football travel wise. Right? They travel right. a little bit later. They don't. They're not getting there. You know, a day and a half uh, in advance or two days in advance. And we were talking to Marcus Arroyo, and he said he basically suggested that they're not going to go two days before. Uh, they'll probably go the day before. What did you always think about the Hawaii trip and getting there early? I think it's it's one of the, the home field advantages that Hawaii has because you have to think about this as the, the opposing team coming to Hawaii. Um, and I've, I've done it both ways. I've done the, you know, the, the go a few days early and spend some time in the island getting adjusted, um, trying to – there's kind of a mental aspect of like 
a lot of the guys on the rosters are it's their first time in hawaii and there's this you know this perception of hawaii is this island paradise which it is it's beautiful and you want to kind of you know get that shock and all out of the way so that you can focus in on the game so i guess that's the thinking behind going early so i've been a part of that and that can obviously be disastrous because then you get you know too accustomed to the shock and you start to relax you're like yeah this is vacation time uh, and then game time comes it's trying to rev it back up and it's too late at that point um and you know somebody's gonna go snorkeling the day before the game and and their legs are gonna be shot um for game time cramping and all that getting used to the climate so that's one way to do it and the other way to do it is to try to play too close to the vest and just you know land handle business try to take off that that's a long flight and i, I mean if, you, if you've never been on a flight to hawaii or, or across the country just the sheer hours spent in that in those tiny seats you know these are big boys on the on a football team flying in those kind of conditions over over the ocean like that um you're gonna need you know more than normal time i think to to let your legs loosen up unfold a little bit and get ready to play a game so it's 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 I've done it both ways, and I'd say I personally prefer getting there early, and that may be selfish, and I enjoy Hawaii. Um, but it was, uh, it, I think it's one of those things every opponent that goes to play on the island has to think about and consider, much the same way that Hawaii has to think about when they're playing on the mainland. And they, they have to you know, make these decisions every time they come play uh, here in the mainland. They have to sometimes I've, I've seen them stay in the, in the mainland for a couple weeks in a row if they know they got two back-to-back away games. So. It's definitely one of those things that's a benefit and, and an advantage for Hawaii when, when teams are coming up there. Isn't snorkeling supposed to be leisurely? How do your legs get shot after just kind of floating around out there? Yeah. Snorkeling is not leisure. Okay, I don't I don't know who is spreading that rumor. No. That is is physical been? activity. Obviously if you not. really get out there and go snorkeling, it is it is it is tough fighting against tides and, and you know, keeping those feet paddling, especially if you're not good at it. You know, it, most people, oh. let's face it, the tourist community that comes out and goes to Hawaii are not avid snorkelers so they're out there fighting waves they don't understand how to how to ride the rhythm and things like that but you can get you know, tapped pretty quick and not realize it caleb you got john's laughing i totally agree with you i'm just laughing well, at the intensity like well, i didn't realize because, it was well, so intense uh, well, about snorkeling well a lot of it's the mental intensity of getting comfortable like having just a little yeah. breathing tube and if you duck under the water then all of a sudden you got water coming in like you get some anxiety you, trying to you know, hold panic. the surface and swim the right way that's me so that was me I, the first time i went snorkeling i i didn't get the rules where it was like keep your head down eyes down the entire time the first time the water got into my snorkel i didn't know how to clear it like i didn't know how to and i at this point yep. I, I, i'm a good swimmer so i'm out there kind of deep so it, it, it comes out and it, it's in my mouth I, my first instinct is to gasp for air and now i'm underwater now gasping yep. for air and then i instantly go to try to stand and i realize i'm in about 10 15 feet of water and i can't get my feet to the bottom and yeah. you're wearing the flippers. It's 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 unusual. It's uncomfortable for people. That or, or used to it, don't so. you don't want to step on a, any kind of reef? You're not supposed yeah, to. Or anyway. urchin. They they warn you. They warn you in Hawaii. There's sea urchin and there's reef that they say you know they tell you straight up like hey if, if coral breaks off in your foot it keeps growing it's you know it's really what? dangerous don't step on a sea urchin <laughs> the poisonous sea urchin you'll get a that's foot infection it. there's all kind of worries that are going on and then oh by the way a sea turtle that's big as you swims by in the middle of your face. It's a it's a thrilling experience that takes a lot of energy out of you, man. I'm I, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I actually just thought it happened in like three feet water, like no, feet no, water. It's, like, it's the ocean. It's no man. It can be intense. There, there are spots where the children dwell, where you yeah. can kind of just be on your hands and knees going around the shallow end, but you don't see Maybe. any wildlife there. You got to go out there on the coral. You actually see the colors, different fish life, aquatic life out there. That's what you want to go for, especially you know teenagers, twenty. 18 to 22 year old kids going to Hawaii for the first time. That's what they want to do. They want to be out there amongst the big fish. So, you know, 
some people take the chance. I, I speak from experience. I, I witnessed football players come back to the shore <laughs> exhausted after a couple hours out there snorkeling. Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, one of the voices of UNLV football and one of the hosts of the Marcus Arroyo radio show. So actually, I asked a question earlier of Arroyo. I, I think he got it right. I think he appreciated it, yep. John. When I asked him, do you walk in in year three, you know, after getting kind of beat up, um, you know, around the conference with a with a bigger, stronger, deeper roster? And I think UNLV believes they have that. Like, do you think Arroyo walks in with kind of a chip on his shoulder and, you know, willing to kind of puff out his chest? Or he's like, hey, you know what? We feel a lot better about ourselves, and I feel a lot better about the group I have to compete with. Absolutely. I think, I think he – you know, the competitor in him and, and just, you know, being a, a football guy, he has that kind of naturally, but especially with the way things have happened over his tenure so far at UNLV and that first year. And I, we talked about this, you and I, Steve, um, when he first got the job and how kind of his situation with COVID and coming in under the circumstances he did um, were a lot different than normal, right? Where that first year, I, I outright said, this is kind of a mulligan year. We don't, I, I can't grade his ability to coach, recruit anything on that first year. And that similarly, the second year wasn't really a full year to really evaluate, to get his, his ducks in a row, so to speak, to do the work that he needed to do to feel confident in the product that he was going to be putting out on the field. And that's not excuse making. That was the reality of, you know, the last two years that were just crazy for everybody. Um, but especially coming from where UNLV football was as a program, um, this is the first time that I think he's confident in the fact that he's been able to turn as many stones as he could in the process, the off season, the 365 days um, that were that we're not looking at football at, during football season, um, at, which I've from talking to him on the coaches show and on, on road trips and just spending time around him. He's really into the work and the grind of the process of building the, the finished product. And, and we get to see the finished product. The wins are obviously the finished product. But he, this is the first time as the head coach of UNLV where he's had that full gambit of the experience of turning every stone, getting the guys he needs, wants um, that, you know, the depth he wants or trying to get it as close to what he wants as possible. And he's finally going to be able to say that this is kind of what this is what we are. This is what I plan for the program to be. Um, and there's there's excitement with that. There's there's some competitive edge that, that is like, hey, and if the timing of it, we kind of joked about it, the timing of it, where some of the other programs are in the conference, they're kind of on the opposite side where they're on the downturn. And as a program, you know, he's kind of ascending up that road. And obviously, there's some things he wants to prove on the field in terms of wins and losses. Um, last season, being close in so many of those games, definitely increased the itch to have something to prove. And I think maybe put some weight on that chip on the shoulder to say, hey, we're right there and we're not all the way to what we need to be yet. I know we're not there yet. But now year three coming in with, I think, the closest group we've had to what Arroyo really envisions for the program being the product that he's going to push out come week one. I think there's definitely some chest puff puffing going on where it's like, hey, now you want to see what the Rebels are made of? And that excites me. Hearing him talk about it excites me as a fan of the program, as somebody who watches the program closely um, and is excited for the turnaround to come around eventually where the team is in winning contention and, and fighting for bowl games and conference titles. So it's exciting, and I think rightfully so. Coach Arroyo has that chip, that competitive edge coming into this season. So, Caleb, you, kind of, you went a little bit down the path where I wanted to go because I asked him, so asking you as a former player and getting that perspective, 
Uh, does that message resonate in terms of being in some close losses? Or like, how hard is it to kind of get a locker room together and be like, yeah, man, we only won two games last year, but we were really competitive in some of them and against some really good teams. We can build this going forward. The results aren't there, uh, but there are some things we can build on as a team. How do you get that message to resonate as a player? Because from a coach, you can deliver it, but I feel like it's kind of hard to get some guys to buy in after a two-win season despite there being some positive returns. Right. That, that message resonates. Um, I think there's some of it that's self-evident. Um, I think as a player, when you're playing in those games where the crowd's into it late in the game, it's not blowout football. It's you're playing four quarters of football um, and the adrenaline rush you get kind of speaks for itself. You, you know, coming in the locker room, it's fun, even in losing situations, to be a part of a good game. Now, obviously, you want to win them, but being a part of a good football game overall, it feels good. So that natural kind of adrenaline rush delivers most of the message in my opinion um and then the coaching staff trying to i don't necessarily want to say beat a beat a dead horse but that that's kind of the thing where you're doing where you're trying to stay on the positive end of it um as the coaching staff that message though to me the close but not quite it doesn't last as long as you would like it to right so you can do a season of that maybe a couple seasons where it's like we're right there um but after anything past that it's like okay now we got to see the results i need to see the wins and that's why the wins late in the season for, for UNLV, the two wins, the little win streak they went on there were so important, whereas, you know, it comes out at the end of the year. It's only two wins. It doesn't feel like a big deal. But because of how close they were in all of the other games, the six, five or six other games they could have come out on top of, um, and that message kind of being the message, we're right there, then finally seeing the, the we made it to a win. We figured it out. We did the right things to win the game. I think that makes that message stick even harder, where it's like now the offseason feels like, no, this is the moment. Like, we're going to take it. We're going to get over that hump. This offseason was great for us. Now we're going to hit the ground running in our next season. And I think that's more the mentality for the players coming into this season. It's like, hey, what we did last year, we're building on it, and we're going to roll into this year and pick up where we left off and hopefully find ourselves with some more wins at the end of it. So I'll give you something that I'm a little – well, first of all, I'm fascinated to see how it's coached and how it's managed, but it also worries me a little bit. They've turned over the roster a lot. And I think Keith Hayward and Arroyo, Keith Hayward's the new defensive coordinator, looked at the defense and they're like, we got to upgrade, right? So they brought in a ton of new defensive backs for competition. They've got some pretty good ones coming back. They brought in a lot of defensive linemen, outside linebackers. Uh, how hard is it in basically, and the first game is on August 27th, in you know, 25, 26 days to blend in and actually become a contributor. I, I think it's going to be tough, and I, I don't think we're going to see you know, what you want to see on defense until like three, four weeks into the season, especially from a lot of the JUCOs. The, the, the JUCO transition to Division One football is really hard. Absolutely. There's going to be an acclimation period, and you would hope that fall camp can be intense enough to where you can get them acclimated as quickly as possible during fall camp, at least to the speed and the language of of, of what's going on, uh, a little bit of this is it's I'm starting to think of it as the economics of football, where you have to, as a coach and a staff, play the balance between the additions you made talent wise, not becoming subtractions as far as what the product is on the field. And if that makes sense, you don't want to spend too much time slowing down to teach in fall camp. Um, when you've got guys that know, like the guys know, and th because they know they play faster, they play more aggressive, they're more in tune with the game plan, things like that. You have to balance that as a coach. And there, there's no there's no easy way around it. While adding you know depth and talent to the roster is obviously vital, you have to be economic with how you treat fall camp. The time, the window 
to really get guys up to speed is very slow. And it may be sort of learn trial by fire for a lot of these guys where we don't maybe see them in the rotation week one, week two as heavily. And as the season kind of progresses, they get more reps actually in games as they start to feel more comfortable. And that's, the I think, the balance that you have to strike. And, and Coach Rowe talked about it a little bit where the, some of the better teams that you think of are teams that have players that have played together more often. And that's one of the most underrated things, and he, he hit it on the head, the underrated things about football, which is a team sport, the, the, the ability to, to know what one another are thinking, to, to limit the delaying communication. You can't get that by having a talented guy at running back or by getting the biggest recruit to come to your, your, your program. It's by building up some sort of camaraderie um, where the communication is effortless and the, 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 uh, the language is, is second nature to everybody. It's when Harrison Bailey in the spring, when he came and he, everybody, there was a big deal about him saying it was one of the most complicated offenses he had to learn. It's one of those things where it's like, it's complicated to somebody who doesn't speak the language, you know, like me listening to somebody speak Russian, that sounds super complicated, <laughs> but somebody who's been listening to Russian their whole life, that's just, you know, just sure. talking in the backyard. Right. So that's, Duh. that's kind of the same thing you're thinking about with football. The guys have to be accustomed to and adapted to the language in order to even be as talented as they can be on the field. And I think that's what fall camp's going to be about for UNLV is acclimate guys as quickly as possible so they can get the best out of them on Saturdays. For newcomers on defense, we were just talking about communication. What position do you think is the most difficult transition with the communication? Is it the outside linebackers, the inside linebackers, or the defensive backs? I would say, and this is just from my perspective as an offensive guy watching defenses the interior of defense you know the, the even just going to the outside linebackers for the most part is about assignment discipline not necessarily communication and adjustments the shell of the defense which is the secondary is what usually has to adjust on the fly where communication becomes the most important and also at the college level the schemes in, in the secondary are a lot more complicated than they were let's say in high school or in your juco where you know people are playing cover three, cover two, and man to man. That's that's what you were doing. Now there's all kinds of rules and reads, and and if he runs this route, you you're reading three to two or two to one, and you have to just switch off. You're running I and O coverage where if he goes in, I got him. If he goes out, that kind of stuff. So communication is more important for a secondary. And there's just a space on the field, right? The corner sometimes is on an island out there. He doesn't see the guy coming in motion across the formation. He has to make an adjustment based on that motion. You go from a two by two to a three by one set. Now you've got to, you know, your, your coverage completely changed. You can't be impressed man now because it's, you know, you got trips to your side. So those kinds of things in the secondary are, are much more important because they have a bigger consequence as well. There's nobody behind the secondary to kind of make up for any miscommunications on, on, on their assignments. And that's where those big plays come into play. It's like, how did that guy get open? Well, somebody didn't get the check. Somebody didn't see the motion. Somebody didn't adjust. So I would say defensively, I would say the secondary, it's safeties and corners. The communication has to be on point, which going back to your point about the additions that UNLV is making this offseason, there's a lot of new faces in the secondary. And there's going to be competition in that unit as well where the guys on the field potentially may not be guys that were there last year. Um, how's their communication going to be? The defensive scheme, how much has it changed in that secondary where communication becomes uh, more difficult? That's yet to be determined, but um, the season's right around the corner. We're going to find out soon. Yeah, I think they have a star defensive player at each level, and, that, and that's at a minimum in uh, Jure Williams, who we haven't seen play in an official game yet. At defensive back, uh, Austin Ajake is as good a linebacker as anyone in the conference, and I'm a massive fan of Eliel Ahimare, uh, his work ethic on and off the field. So they have leaders at, at each level. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to veer away from UNLV f- here for a second. Uh, it, there's got to be a team that's traditionally really good that's going to take a bit of a tumble. It happened last year to Boise, right? It's always 10 or 11 wins. They drop to 7 and 5. Could that team be San Diego State? They, they're going to bring in a quarterback in Burmeister who's been all around, highly touted guy, Oregon, VTech. They lose Greg Bell. They have Chance Bell, but they lost a, you know, a good amount of players on the offensive line. Bellinger, the Vegas guy, is, is uh, you know, done at tight end. Their defense should be pretty freaking loaded. Could they? They won so many close games last year. Could they take a tumble? And by tumble, I mean from they went 12-2. and two. You know, this year they win seven. I see it, and you missed the most important thing that they lost. Matt Ariza, Ariza is, is yeah. gone. He was probably the most dangerous. You and I agree, the most dangerous punter in the country. No, unbelievable. He, unbelievable. Yeah, he was unbelievable, right? And especially when you talk about the amount of close games they had last year, special teams was a factor in a lot of those games. Losing him as 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 much of a as, – as, as I made that as a joke, it's a serious thing. Losing him, they lose a couple of those games without what he did punting the ball. Um, but, no, I think they have – they do have a chance to fall. But I think – the reason that I, I wouldn't worry about them, one, Brady Hoke does a great job over there, and the, the language and the, the communication with what they do in San Diego State has been consistent. You know, Rocky Long and, and Brady have some of the similar style, so San Diego State has a culture established. And the reason I think they, they, they're kind of a, a dinosaur, so to speak, in this regard, um, they're okay playing three, three yards in a cloud of dust football. They're okay holding you to you know, three field goals and winning a game 12 to nine. They're okay doing things like that. So their offense doesn't have to be explosive for them to win. And that's sort of a rarity in football today, especially at the college level, where much of the teams are going to this kind of run and shoot, light up the scoreboard, big play mentality. San Diego State's one of the the programs that has been able to sustain itself by really sticking with the ground and pound, play good defense brand of football. So that's one of those things I think it's possible. There's potential with the people, like you said, that they're losing. But I think San Diego State has proven. I mean, a lot of people maybe said that they had they would have a fall off last year, um, but they, they proved that they could be right back in the mix. So um, I, I I would say that there's potential for it, and I, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. But at the same time, that's kind of a cop out answer. I I would not be surprised if because of their brand of football, they're still right in the thick of things. It's a it's an adjustment. Teams like Air Force and San Diego State within the conference, there's just an adjustment to playing their style of football, and they have a, a unique ability to impose their will on football games where you're going to have to play their brand. You're going to have to be physical in the trenches in order to beat San Diego State. And sometimes teams just don't have it up front uh, to compete with San Diego. And I think that's why, you know, last year there was a lot of close games, but they were able to gut it out because they stuck to their guns and, and played their brand of football down the stretch. Caleb Herring with us. we got about a minute left. John, fire out your last question. Uh, yeah, 60 seconds. Caleb, you know where I'm going here, though. Steve was on vacation last week, so let's present this uh, to Steve Cofield. <laughs> Uh, the newest company endeavor, Caleb, Steve, and you're going to be part of this, is going to be the quarterback for the Kofield and Company flag football team that we're going to be starting. Yeah, so this is, this is we, we, me and JV, we got together. I, it was just an epiphany that I had that this needed to happen. And I didn't know that the stars would align and I'd be on with, with JVT and he would be just as much into this as I am. Um, we're structured guys and we want to go win a Kofield and Company championship with a flag football. And I think we can shock the world. That's just my personal opinion. I think we've got the guts. We've got the smarts. We're around sports all the time. We've got we've got some depth, I think. We've got some size. I think we can make some things happen. I think it could be magical, and it could be just another notch on your belt to be you know, the flag football champion, Cofield and company show. What, this, what is one of, this is one of the more absurd things that's ever been proposed on the show. Why? Ever. Why? And we, we, Caleb and I agreed Adam would be a sneaky red zone threat. 
Like, we've got a lot of weapons to work with. Willie's tiny, but he's stout. We could use him. Adam's, <laughs> Adam Candy Slender. Candy. Got good reach. We yeah. got some pieces only, to work with. Only and, thing uh, I need to know is if Ari's hands are as good as I think they are. He, he works the knobs yeah. on, on the board, but can he catch a simple swing pass just to keep the defense honest? And I think we got the complete package. And uh, uh, you don't know this, but uh, I, I'm back to my weightlifting regimen. I'm down almost nine pounds now, so I've, <laughs> I've been I've been cranking it out. Yeah, Willie Willie G's got me on my macros regimen. I could show you the app, oh, dude. Eating a bunch Willie's of got knee braces. Yep. Willie's got compression knee knee compression sleeves for everybody. He's bald. Um, we'll all be healthy. <laughs> we'll make sure we're on our our, our diet regimen. So hey, I, I see great things for the Colfield Company flag football team, the inaugural flag football team. I'm I'm with it. I like your optimism. I like the optimism a lot. Caleb, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll revisit this next week. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. Have fun out there. There he is. Caleb Herring will uh, continue as we move past the halfway point of the show live at the Mountain West Conference Football Media Day for the uh, 2022 football season. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. And we do football frenzy all year long. It's Cofield. John Von Tobel's in as a company. And football is here. Like, we've been doing it the last couple months, knowing that, hey, we got to wait a little while. It's here. I know it, for a lot of people it doesn't feel like it's here, but the Raiders opened up their camp today. Rookies were in two days ago. Hall of Fame game is up in two weeks. Oh, man. College football starts way sooner than you'd ever imagine because media days are wrapping up right now and camps open up. In a week, so there's a ton to get into. So we start with something light, first of all. Are we seeing more of the classic uniforms return and return as full-time uniforms in the NFL? Yeah, well, they're, they're, so they're doing this a lot. Uh, the Giants are bringing back their classic uniforms, the throwbacks. I think, was it like late 80s, early 90s, whatever? Yeah, 80s, 90s jerseys and helmets. Uh, but this is the thing. So, one, it's only for two games, so it's fine. But here's – like. It's genius on the NFL's part because, one, the merch, obviously. If you're going to make these available again, people are going to snatch them up. But in my younger days of being a non-jaded media member and watching football, the throwbacks in, like, the different uniforms were where it was at, man. I remember the Colts one year had their super old throwbacks. I don't know if you remember these, but the all-whites with the navy blue helmets and the Mm -hmm. double horseshoes on the back, those were sick. They only wore them once. It was like an Eagles game. I want them more. Madden? Every time you play Madden, you know what you do? You change up the uniforms. You, you go with, like, the retro ones. Remember the year where they did the AFL 50-year anniversary and, like, the Broncos were in those brown and yellow unis with, mm-hmm. like, the striped socks? The Raiders, they had the silver helmet. Well, and they're all silver now, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's, yeah. like, the silver and, like, the whitish logo right. with the pure white. white. Those are awesome. I want to see more of those. The Patriots uniforms with the, uh, the snapping Patriot. I think uh, we should go back to it full time. Right. I'm down. Make it part of the rotation. I, uh, that was a, that was a great because there's something about the 60s and 70s uniforms. There was a cheese value to it, but a lot of them were super creative. And now they've like you know with the color some of the color schemes now. I don't want to sound like you know, uh, you know shake the fist of the sun, but like, as a Jets fan, the Jets uniforms, eh, you know, go to the throwbacks, go yeah. to the old ones, do it all the time. And here's the thing, and this is the, the mistake the NBA is making. So I don't know if you've noticed the new uniforms that have been coming out for the NBA. There's, like, this minimalist trend where, like, the less on the uniform, the better. Right. And it's just – it doesn't really look great. And football's kind of gone in that direction a little bit. There was that trend in, like, for a while, like, the Browns are doing it where it's just, like, Cleveland in really big letters across the front, which I don't really love. <laughs> but I'm with you. And it ties in the NBA stuff. 
Give me cheesy Patriot dude snap. Where's the handsome pirate? I want the handsome pirate back on the side of the helmet for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At least half a season. Right, with the dagger in his mouth winking. Like, that's it great. It was, it's, it's fantastic. It's the same thing with all these others. Give me the ridiculous Raptor in the jersey dribbling the that basketball. Was on, that's an unbelievable <laughs> logo. It's, it's a fantastic logo. I want those. I don't want whatever the hell is coming out now. Let's go. We don't like new things. It, it, it has to hit. Like, there's some new uniform. Like, I like what the Vikings have done with the uniforms. You can't really do that much, but I kind of like those. But, like, there is, there is a value to these old school unis. I'm down. Uh, Raiders look like they're uh, going to be putting some guys on the pup list, mm-hmm. which is not great because that means they miss the beginning of the season. I think it's four games. Trayvon Mullen's the one that caught my attention. I don't feel like the, the Raiders completely shored up their cornerback slots, mm-hmm. and now if Mullen is down for a while longer, not a great, not a great thing right now for the Raiders. No, I agree, and I actually I, I think what's going on with the defense tackle position too is something that is uh, a little bit of an issue. I mean, that's why you knew when, John, you knew Jonathan Hankins was going to be jacked because he got hurt late in the season, right? And which is why when there was floating out there like the Indomitian Sioux thing, and it was reported last week, Willie and I discussed it uh, that the, there were other teams that were kind of sniffing around him, and he hasn't like I haven't seen at least he hasn't been snatched up. I don't know why that's not a call you make. Unless Sue is doing something where he doesn't want to go to camp, right, because he's a long-in-the-tooth guy and he's waiting to sign with the team. But, like, even if they're healthy, there's an argument to be made that that's a bottom-20 defensive tackle room that you need to do something with that. And that's, I think, somewhat worrisome, too, if you start to lose bodies there. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Somebody said I need to watch the terminal list, which I haven't watched it yet. I guess the hidden gem, Operation Odessa, that uh, documentary, you need to watch that. I wish I could tell you I'd, I'd watch more Netflix. I haven't watched a lot lately. I'm up to date on Better Call Saul. I'm up to date on Yellowstone. The kids got me into Stranger Things. <laughs> You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I'm going to live. Well, that I dude's die. an acquired taste day by day, Mike Leach, because some of his uh, riffing on uh, players and players' rights and that stuff, he's annoying as hell. Oh. Uh, but, he, but he is, you know, the fact that he is willing to throw stuff out there that's a little bit different, his TV watching and uh, Netflix viewing, okay. So, you know I'm into that. Two things. Uh, one, Isabel and I had decided to, to take the dive. We have binged. Um, almost every part of Stranger Things over the last, like, two and a half weeks. Thoughts? Uh, oh, it's great. It's a great show. It's a great show. We are, I think, on, like, episode four, season four. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're getting there. We're almost done with everything. Absolutely love it. It's very good. The opposite of my feelings for Mike Leach. I cannot stand him. Uh, you mentioned everything I don't like about him. Yep. I think a couple months ago I went on some rants about him because, you know, like you said, he is a guy who consistently throws his players under the bus. It is never his fault. He is very, it seems, a very anti-player empowerment, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, he's just one of these old stodgy fogies who everyone's like, ha, 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 he believes in aliens. But then at the end of the day, if he loses a game, he says it was all their fault and it's not mine. And right. I dislike that. He's also out of his depth now. I think he's so. Not, he can't coach in this conference. I think so, too. In the SEC? Yep. He can't. There's other places. You know, he wasn't making the same money at Washington State. That was a good spot for him. Oh, because he, he had it set up for life. He mm-hmm. could have just sat there. Won nine to eleven games. Just be a quarterback haven. Yep. Throw the ball seventy times. You know, your, your junk offense and no defense can work. But when you're, you know, it's murderer's row. Plus, he's in the wrong division. Right. In the SEC, he's in the SEC West. I mean, and the, the thing too, and this is this opportunity is now going to depart because the Pac-12 is falling apart. But two, I mean, if he would have stayed there, I mean, that's that was one of those programs that 
you stumble into a 12 and 0 maybe every once in a while and have an opportunity to potentially compete when you shouldn't be like for a national championship yeah. like he, I, he was in a great spot that he wasn't going to get fired from and now like you said maybe a little out of his depth so operation odessa i haven't seen that the terminal thing apparently is on uh, amazon not netflix uh better call saul you all caught up no so i've seen i think i've watched the first season and it was one of those things that I actually really enjoyed it but then never picked it back up yeah like i liked it more than i liked breaking bad I, want, I got halfway through season three of Breaking Bad, and I stopped. I'm like, I can't do this. It's annoying. Skylar sucks. <laughs> like, there's, there's only so she many is, She is a controversial yeah. figure. But is she, I mean, she is kind of right. I can't get back. I'm trying I mean, to it's remember kind of a, she's, in a, she's in a bad position. She is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird deal for her husband. You've got to admit that. Oh, of Kind of get involved with some dangerous people. Now, I will say, I, I think she <laughs> sucked. But she's definitely not Lori from The Walking Dead. Uh, Lori from The Walking Dead met a wonderful fate that I was very happy about. So. <laughs> Isn't that mean when you watch shows and you're like, I, they got especially shows that are killing people left and right, and you're no. like, they got to die. No. I, I feel even better about it because that's my outlet, right? I feel even better. Well, because it's my outlet. Like, yeah. that's, that's where I can get my darkest. I know these characters don't exist. <laughs> yeah, right. So I can be like, yes, this is great that not only while you're giving birth, yeah. you're going to die, but your child is going to be the one to put the bullet in your head. This is fantastic. Uh, sadly, and this is kind of, you know, nothing against your kids, but this kind of shows my attitude and my patience for kids in general. I, I watch a lot of shows like Ozark that happened yeah. where the two kids on Ozark had equal time periods where they were beyond annoying. And I'm like, just kill them. <laughs> yeah. Please. I can't take it anymore. I think there's there's somebody in Stranger Things right now that I'm kind of like, all right, can oh well, the, can we off this guy? I don't think you've gotten to the the latter part with some of the uh, the bullies at the school. Oh, I mean the the blonde haired kid that's oh, like you, quoting like Romans. Yeah, and, or or at the beginning, it, this isn't really a spoiler, but like when he invokes the town fire when they're yep. like to win a basketball game, I'm yep. like, okay, like I, I, you can't wait to him for him to get. No, I can't. I can't even remember. What's the monster's name? I can't even remember. Let's get, like, get him Vecna. Yeah, right? Vecna. That's yeah, it. Get him all twisted get, up. And, yeah, let's, go, let's go. So if you haven't watched the show, sorry. Uh, kind of ruining for you. So the other show he mentioned that I find really interesting is Yellowstone. And I swear, I don't have anyone on Cofield and Company who watches Yellowstone. They yeah, can't get into it. I've heard so much you about haven't. It. Adam Hill hasn't. Candy hasn't. Well, what's it on? Willie hasn't. It's on Paramount, so it's a little bit hard to get. Okay, I have Paramount. But it is a massive favorite for a lot of people. You know what I... Okay. It's a massive favorite. I just, I just want to build on this, right, real old, quick. Old so, well, it's got, it's got, it has throwback old people values, and I think for a lot of people who live in areas where maybe they get frustrated with, and they dream of being like a rancher, mm. which they can't be. Brad Powers. Uh, but Brad actually, our, yes, our, our handicapper on Thursday, is like <laughs> actually comes from that background, and I do yeah. believe Brad told us he's going to move from Vegas pretty soon. And he wants land, and he wants to be a oh, farmer, land. right? He wants to be a farmer, so that that's fine, right? But Yellowstone, it's now it's developing this kind of thing. Um, the they they didn't get a lot of nominations for for uh, in the Emmys, right? Oh, yeah. July twelfth, I think the list came out. So then people are saying, hey, you know what? The Emmys are too woke; they can't appreciate Yellowstone. Oh boy, I like Yellowstone a lot, but to the audience who's listening, who Watches Yellowstone and loves it. You do have to admit, a lot of the it's it's very cheesy and a lot of the acting sucks. Really, 
and I'm not anti Yellowstone. Like I think I get a kick out of it, but, but the way it works is Kevin Costner is the lead character, and as you watch some scenes, you're like, my God, he's awesome. And then you see these other like B movie buffoons, but they're good characters. Just kind of take it for what it is. They can't act. No. So like you're not going to get. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't yeah. want to go too hardcore, but like there's a character Beth. Like while she's an intriguing character, she's a terrible actress. One of the sons is a terrible actor. There's a guy Rip. He's a great actor. He's like yeah. the heavy on the show. There's good actors and bad actors, but the story. Again, I'll go back and a little further back in TV on Skinamax. There was a show Banshee. Yellowstone is basically a continuation of Banshee, which was Banshee was just a lot of TNA and just just fighting, just just fights. Okay. It was just brawls all the time. It was awesome. But, like, at no point was I like, holy crap, this is unbelievable in terms of the acting. It was cheesy. Although I will say this. The lead on Banshee, if I'm, if I'm getting his name right, Anthony Starr, is actually the lead on The Boys. I got to watch that. Dude, that's a show you have to watch. It's, it is unbelievable. Because the premise, because it's, uh, what, Seth Rogen is one of the guys behind it. The premise is brilliant. Basically, it's, hey, they're superheroes. But they're human. But they're run by a corporation. Yeah. And the whole thing is a money-making entity. And have you ever thought about it, with all the power that superheroes have, what if they're not really good? Yeah. What if they can't control themselves? Awesome. Well, look, so that's like one of the big trends on TikTok. Sorry, I went down a whole path. No, you're good. Cause, <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the ones that I have been wanting to watch. And that's yeah. on Amazon, right? It's on Amazon. That's, yeah. That is one of the shows where I am tempted to subscribe to that just to watch that show because of everything I personally see. Like, it's big on TikTok now, a lot of the scenes. Uh, the scene that is trending on TikTok is uh, the, the patriot-looking guy, the blonde dude, who uh, it looks like he's saving a woman from on top of that's, the building. That's the lead I was just talking right. about. Right, and, yeah. and, he, and he tells her, he's like, nah, jump, and he's getting yep. all pissed. And I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, I got to watch something like this. Like, this looks he's, fantastic. He's got a lot of issues, a lot of insecurities. Yeah. It's a brilliant character, and uh, – it's a really well-written show. It's funny, and you never think about it. Like, hey, what if superheroes can't control themselves? And rewinding really quickly, the one, the thing I've noticed with Yellowstone, because again, I haven't watched it, and I love it. Like, I it sounded like I was killing it, but I know what it is. I love it. Every person who has recommended it to me is over fifty-five. Damn it! Oh, okay. I'm just underneath, <laughs> barely underneath. The average age is pretty old on the people who've wrecked. Like, my dad went on about it the other day for, like, 15 minutes. Did he? And I was like, I've, yeah, I've never seen it. i got to go to lunch with your dad. We can compare notes, and yeah. then eventually you're going to get forced into catching up and watching it. Uh, let's do a giveaway right now. 364-1100. Big residency coming up in December. Yeah, we got tickets way in advance, right? ZZ Top is coming to town. Venetian Theater. Tickets go on sale this Friday, 10 a.m. Ticketmaster.com is where you can get tickets if you don't win ours. Ari's got the phones right now. Caller 7, ZZ Top in early December. NFR will be in town at that point. Two tickets, 364-1100, caller 7. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. Moving toward the 5 o'clock hour on Cofield & Company. We're here at Mandalay Bay, the host of the Mountain West Conference Football Media Day. Day number one, we are going to introduce the uh, Vegas audience to Ken Wilson, yeah, the Reno coach. And we have a lot of Nevada grads, you know, future students down here, so you're going to want to hear. My little sister had the audacity to go up to Reno for a year. 
Did you realize what it was? I, I, I tread very lightly. I, I tread very lightly, and I don't want to say too many good things about Reno. She, you know what she did? Yeah. My, my young sister, Georgia. Um, yeah. Her first year up there, she comes back, and that's when my youngest, Diego, was you know around a year old or something. She got she buys him a onesie. It's it's like a football, right? Like you know, he's supposed uh, to be like uh, a little. He's supposed to be a little football, right? But like with like a wolf pack insignia on it. Oh boy, I threw it in the garbage. I was like, you, wasted you did your, not stop. You wasted your money. Did you really? Yeah. Did you give her the money? No, you didn't. She made the mistake. Of course. Also, we were kind of just talking about this off the air. My children are kind of huge, yeah. especially when they first come out. Uh, you know, formula, when they first come out, when they're formula babies, uh, nothing fit that kid at that time. So. Yeah, I tossed it. Good chance my my family's listening. So. Friggin' ruthless. Sorry, buddy. Really ruthless. Hilly. So, predictions are out. This is what we got uh, from the conference. Boise State has picked one Stop. in the mountain, followed by Air Force, Utah State, Colorado State, Wyoming, New Mexico. By the way, I'd be real careful about overlooking Wyoming because that's one of those programs – they have a brand. They play physical football. so Home field advantage that works. I would be real careful, and that's a rivalry there too, CSU and Wyoming. Uh, the West, Fresno, San Diego State, San Jose State, Reno, UNLV, Hawaii. We'll get into the uh, the West in the Big Five, but I know you were looking at Boise and you're like, I don't know, especially with some of the season win total predictions. Nine wins? Nine wins shaded to the over at minus 125. So that, that seems strong. I mean, for those who don't know, Boise schedule off the top of the head. Um, look, three of the first four games are on the road. Oregon State, New Mexico, and then UTEP. And if you want to sit back and go Oregon State, New Mexico, and UTEP, who cares? Well, at Oregon State, we already know they're a four-point underdog. So that's a coin flip spot that they could potentially win. Four points isn't that much, but still an underdog nonetheless. They'll be favored on the road against New Mexico. And you and I were talking about this earlier. I think people will be surprised to find that probably at UTEP, they're going to be a small underdog. UTEP's got about 15 guys coming back. They were a seven-win team last year. Um, that's not going to be the easiest circle spot in the world. And this is not the same Boise State program. Their defense is going to be really good. But I have questions about how good their offense is going to be. Their offensive line was pretty poor last year. Hank Bachmeyer, I have a lot of questions about. It holds on to the ball too long, not exactly explosive, turns the ball over. He's good for at least one turnover every single game. So you have questions there. And then you get to their, their conference schedule. They draw. They get San Diego State, Fresno State, Air Force, Utah State. And if you mentioned Wyoming, you think they're going to be good. They have to go to Wyoming. Air Force is on the road as well. So they get all of the big boys in the conference on top of sandwiched in there on November 5th. A home game against BYU. That's brutal. I'll also mention their recruiting is slightly down if you look at rankings. Yeah. And, and, like, I'm, I don't look at rankings on individuals. If you look at a group, they're not recruiting at quite the same level they were about five years ago. And the other thing is they had a long line of really good coaches. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're going to nail it, you know, five coaches in a row. And we don't know what's going to happen with Andy Avalos. You know, they. I think they plucked him as a you know an early prospect coach. He's forty years old. He coached there as an assistant for a long time. Went to Oregon, had a year there as the DC. He played at Boise State. Jerry's still out. Boy, and here's the thing. Actually, like their defense last year was pretty good, and like their defense this year could be pretty good. The issue for them last year was their offense. Five o'clock hours on the way. John Von Tobel's here. It's Cofield. Coming up, we will get into the West Division, and we'll also have some exclusive interviews that Willie Ramirez grabbed with SDM. 
Sandra, Douglas, oh, okay. Morgan. I don't want to say the whole name every time. I was, I was just going to, yeah. SD, SDM was at the Aces game last night, so that's a Willie exclusive. And then we'll also talk to Mark Davis, who is very fired up for the Open of Raiders training camp with the Hall of Fame game right around the corner.